0: Okay. Well, anyone who listens to our podcast regularly will know how much I've uh, championed Arbelos over the years, and so super pleased tonight to have David Marriott and Aid Toshinari, fra- co-founders of Arbelos, joining me for the show. Thank you all so much.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Oh, yeah.
0: of course. Uh, it's no joke. I was I was going back. I don't know if this is an extremely narcissistic thing to do, but I went back and I started listening to some of our old episodes recently just because it had been two years and I kind of forgot what we talked about. And I think Giuseppe Makes a Movie came up either in the first or second episode. Um, And I've just been tracking with y'all for some time. So uh, huge fan of uh, pretty much, yeah, I mean, everything that y'all have put out. Um, So thank you for for going on this journey and, and making some beautiful releases. Oh, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I want to get into, including make sure in case I forget. I really want to get into how you have the best, most luxurious slip covers um, in the <laughs> game. But that's all a eh? really that's <laughs> awesome. Um, before we get into all that, I just am curious. Like, so Arbellus fills this really interesting niche of films from completely around the world that have a a big emotional impact when you see them like i think everything y'all have put out has a has an emotional impact um you know there's there's kind of a lot of things that fall under the art house genre um but i feel like y'all are very selective in the films that are really going to drive a pretty hard-hitting kind of reaction um and i so i I don't know if that's how you see it but I, i would love to hear the story of how arbelos came about and uh as part of that story just sort of how you think about curation and, and how you, you know, started selecting titles. Uh, Cause I think, yeah. Anyway, so if, to the extent you can both those in, otherwise we can make it a bigger conversation, but.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's maybe more interesting to answer the the, the second part first and the first, first part second. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like we put a lot of thought into what the acquisitions mandate is going to be. Cause it is, it is obviously really diverse. We're not focused on like one type of film or one national cinema or anything like that. It's, you know, I mean, it sounds boring, but first and foremost, you know, it's like, we're a small company. We're doing, you know, this is like a for the love of the game type of thing. So we have to be really excited about the work. Like it has to be, you know, we have to love it and that's where it starts. And then sort of beyond that, it's, you know, like there's a lot of companies in our space that are doing a lot of different kinds of things. So I think we always, and A jump in if I'm misrepresenting, but I I think we were always interested in stuff that's sort of like, it's not in the canon, but it should be. And so our purpose can be Uh to number one, make it look as good as it can. And number two, sort of uh, like change that dynamic, you know? And I think maybe something like the Nina Menke's films, which is, I know this is not video, but you know, you're speaking about slipcases. We're literally, we're packaging up this uh, cinematic sorceress, the films of Nina Menke's box set Beautiful. right now to ship out. Um, but I think that's a really good example where Nina's making path-breaking work like since the early nineties and you know, her stuff was at Sundance and all these things like there's, the, it was out there. But when you talk about these sort of canonical filmmakers Especially in like the last ten years, like maybe Nina's work wasn't being mentioned and it should have been. It's like why? It's like okay, well the work hadn't been restored yet. There wasn't it wasn't being platformed. You know, there were like the access was difficult. So I think that's a really good sort of example of where we can excel. Um, and so that yeah, that's 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 sort of the, the acquisitions mandate. And something like Satan Tango is a different animal because it's obviously it's on the Sight and Sound poll. You know, has been for a long time. Like people obviously. Uh, know who is, his reputation is justly established. But with that title, you know, it's seven and a half hours long. There was no Blu-ray. Um, the DVD was out of print. It was really hard or impossible to get 35 prints to tour around North America for about a decade. So that was the sort of thing where because of the the restoration workflow and setup that we had, that's where we could sort of excel. So that one is less like we have to establish Bellatar as a canonical filmmaker. Of course not. He's already, you know, there. But that, that becomes more a question of quality of access. And that's where we could sort of step in.
0: But I, I think, okay, and I do want to get into the history of our both. But I, just on that point, because I think I, I wanted to talk about Set and Tango. So since you brought it up, I think there's two level when you talk about canon, right? There's the one that the critics know, the directors that the critics know, and the films that they know. And then there's the films that people who just love film and, and are curious about film know. And mm-hmm. I don't think those are always the same. Right. And I think what y'all did with Satan yeah. Tango was bring him from bring Bellatar from the critics list into a more general discussion about great films, um, because when that release came out, I mean, it was Reddit and Instagram and tw- it was flooded with Satan Tango stuff for months.
1: Yeah, well, that was a big swing for us. Like, obviously, you know, and A can talk about the genesis of that because it really sort of came out of his initiative. Yeah, that was that was the sort of thing where like the work is so powerful, like you can't deny that film. So I think there was some sense that we always have where it's like to get it out in a new 4K restoration and have it tour, like people people will find it, you know? Like the people who are unaware of it, its reputation, like it was just sort of this, this perfect symmetry of things. But it's, you know, not an inexpensive thing. Like the economics of restoring... That film were tremendous, so it was it was easily the riskiest thing we ever did as a company, but also I think is arguably our most, um, I don't know, like successful is not the word, but it's 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 the one that's landed in front of the most people.
0: It's your uh, it's your Avatar: Way of Water. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> we're working a on a
1: three D version now with Bella. <laughs> He's very excited about it. Good, good.
0: <laughs> Um, hey, do yeah, I mind, hope that do that
1: answers your question.
0: Actually, it does, but I, I'm curious now. A, hey, do, you, do you mind telling a little bit about the origins of that then? I think that's an interesting story.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's it starts from like a very consumer level thing where, you know, for all the films that we release, we were, we're just big fans of the filmmakers themselves. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, Bella is, uh, you know, is an idol to <laughs> both David and I. Uh, but so I was trying to buy the facets dvd actually um, okay. that was out of print and um i had bought it um but then it turns out that it was out of stock and i was contacting them and they had just straight up told me that uh that their rights had lapsed on the film so that they couldn't sell it anymore and then that's when we thought hey this is a big chance for us to you know get involved with this title
0: wow that's amazing <laughs> are, are the facets folks still around are they still a company Yes. Oh wow! I have several of their old DVDs. I haven't thought about I haven't heard, thought about that name in a while. I have to go check out their catalog. Um, anyway. yeah, as
1: far as I know, they still have the Cinematech going. Um, yeah, oddly, they they had Nina's work as well in the in like the DVD era. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was so. A put us on the trail of Bella, and then it was sort of like, how do we find Bella? Like we'd heard these rumblings that he was on email, which seems. Uh, at the time crazy. Cause you would hear these stories that like his secretary or his assistant would print out emails and, you know, like read them to him and then take dictation. I don't know if that's like apocryphal or not. Um, and so there was this, like, I don't know, what was it like six, eight months? Like there was just like this hunt. And then there were a bunch of like dead email addresses and we were trying to get them through the school and this and that. And then, uh, yeah. And then we finally found them and it was, it was just very bizarre to get an email from Bellatar. Like, you know, really short too like long film, short emails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just sort of like
1: yes there are rights let's talk about it you know Bella <laughs> That was you know like the note
0: amazing and so um so y'all went through the process did, did he actually own the rights it was him it wasn't like a, a production company or something
1: yeah it was it was him and his like uh like I don't know it's like a producer slash lawyer but yeah they were they were uh-huh. essentially with with Bella oh, and wow. then the elements were on deposit at the um at the Hungarian National Film Archive. And so that worked out really well. That was sort of felicitous timing because we were also working with them to get Son of the White Mare off the ground. And now we've done uh-huh. subsequently a whole bunch of projects with them and they're, you know, it's a whole other conversation, but they're like the model for what like a really cool, progressive, forward-thinking National Film Archive can be. Like they're doing really, really tremendous work and we have like a long, cool partnership. But they didn't have the rights, but they had, you know, they have Film Lab under the umbrella yeah. of the, uh-huh. then, I think it's the National Film Institute Film Archive now. they rebranded. Uh, But it's like the best film archive in Hungary. And so we do the 4K scans. Obviously, Bella very um, against his negatives leaving, uh, crossing like, you know, borders, which is smart. Um, So we had all that sort of scan there and then migrated those like raw scans to L.A. where the cleanup happened. And then that went back to Budapest where Bella supervised the color
0: grid. But uh, yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Did you ever get to go to Budapest on the journey?
1: We didn't get to go to Budapest, but we did get to meet Bella at, at the Berlin Alley when it premiered there, which was a really like that was that's a career highlight to be able to sort of be in that in that space with him watching that. It was done in the original theater where the film had premiered at the Berlin Alley in 1994. The same programmer introduced it. It was this very um, sort of like ornate 25th anniversary 25th anniversary celebration for the film, and that was yeah, it was, that was that was really special.
0: Wow. Okay. I didn't know the conversation was going to go in this direction, but since you use the term films that are not currently in the canon that should be, although I know Satan Tango doesn't quite fit that description, but I mean, but it just got me thinking, can you do what Wo- C. H. Hoss next? Because I <laughs> want to see Saragos Manuscript get a good release. I don't know what, what's going on with his stuff.
1: Yeah, that's one of those, if there's like a, if there's a film that's sort of like that iconic, that's like not currently out in a beautiful 4k restoration, there's like, <laughs> you know, usually a reason. Yeah. Not, to, not not to be coy, but yes, we're also great fans of that film.
0: Okay, cool. Well, I won't ask any more about it, but uh, I hope I hope it I hope you're able to clear whatever the blocks are. On the completely other end of the art house spectrum, there were some Indonesian um horror films like Lady Terminator and some different ones, some mm-hmm, crazy yep. action movies and stuff that had been stuck in kind of right's hell. And there's rumors are that they're they're finally getting cleared up, so maybe this is a good time in history for some of the ones that have been difficult. I hope that's true. Well, yeah, um, I mean having
1: um having the mother and the whore come out. I mean that's not us, obviously. That's uh that's it's uh it's it's a whole other uh you know like avenue, but like that's that's huge. That's like unbelievable that that's happening. Yeah, I, like, exactly. I, like, everybody took a run over that for like years and years and years, and to have it in this beautiful like 4K restoration is is uh is exciting.
0: That's awesome. Um, okay, so maybe. Thank you for going down that satan tango rabbit hole i just i was i love hearing those stories going back a little bit um so i don't know if you want to start i have two kind of questions or maybe they lead into each other i'd love to learn the kind of path that y'all took to get into the to, to knowing about these films and loving these films you know your kind of film journey uh as a kid and then kind of just growing up and seeing how you kind of evolved uh and then separately how our has got started so uh, i don't know those are however you want to take that. But I'd love to hear both of those.
1: Yeah, A, do you want to jump in? I feel like I've been
0: um, in one
1: of my math. Sure.
2: I'm trying to think. I guess the first question. Um, yeah, I have a pretty standard answer. And I went to undergrad at UCSD and studied visual arts there. Um, okay. And, you know, that's that. And I, I always liked films before that, but I I think I was, more interested in straight narrative films, um, and then taking, going to school there, you learn a lot more experimental films, uh, art house films. Like uh, Man Gold was one of my teachers, um, and Jean Pierre Goran. So these kind of um, you know, art house French film director slash DPs yeah. Uh, yeah. were teaching there, um, and it changed my whole perspective. Uh, on just how to watch films in general, um, and I think for I think that's when I first heard about Bela Tartu too in school. Like, well, one of the, the guys at school's um, he was probably the biggest art house buff there in school, and he was telling, I'm going up to L.A. to see uh the Turn Horse play, and I said, What's that? And um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I ended up going that time, but uh, you know that put me on the. His, his name was on my radar after that. Um, and then, I mean, we starting starting dis- working in distribution was, um, we were talking about Giuseppe. Uh, I had seen Giuseppe uh, at a film festival, but also Mike, I had known him. Uh, Mike Pat, who's the producer of Giuseppe Makes a Movie. Um, uh, well, he was actually teaching at UCSC, even though I didn't take his class uh, at the time, Okay, but, um, my partner had taken his class and I love the movie I saw it maybe three four times in the theaters and um, and that was just kind of my connection to Sinalicious as well and I said uh, I reached out to Mike and I asked him if, um, if there's any way for me to work uh, at Sinalicious or if he had any connections and then he introduced me to David and yeah ah.
0: well that's awesome so there's something you said that I want to ask about because people say this a lot and they gloss over it but I just realized that I've never actually asked the follow-up question to that. How did you watch films differently after going to like being in that environment? Cause you mentioned, you know, like it helped me watch films differently being at UCSD. Uh, uh, like, yeah. What does that, what does that mean? Cause I, I, am always interested cause I think I I don't have any formal training. I just kind of watch movies and kind of go by how they emotionally impact me. And I am always feel like I'm missing out on the reasons that people love a lot of the classics for the composition or the shadowing, or all these things that i you know I haven't been trained on is it is it that kind of stuff or how how did how did you yeah. watch films differently?
2: Well composition part, I think I always had a liking for you know certain aesthetics um even before u c s d but um it's almost as if like they're just hammering these types of films at you constantly, so okay. I think you're just s- slowly start to see different things in these types of films that you had never seen before and then you start to appreciate them um yeah because I, you even still like a lot of those films that we saw in school were pretty tough to watch and i think i fell asleep in a lot of them too but (laughs) um you know uh but i think it's just i i think about those films a lot um and yeah i don't know if i can really answer why uh I love them so much, but it just, it's just those types of films really stuck with me a lot, yeah. a lot more than other types of movies. Yeah.
0: That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like you're not that your brain has changed. It's just like by exposure to so many different types of films, you almost get like your aperture opens up and you kind of really get a, a sense of what you like or something as opposed to before where it was like just a smaller, you know, sampling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. Cool. What about you?
1: Uh, I'm also a film school kid. So I'm Canadian. I grew up in in Montreal um, and went to Concordia for film production, actually. But that program um, at the time, I assume it's still run the same way, but this was sort of pre-digital revolution. So we were like editing on steam bags and shooting on bolexes and doing like 60 millimeter like neg cuts and stuff like that. So I think they probably reconfigured what that program is. Uh, substantially since I was there but that film production program was heavily supplemented with classes in the film studies department and so I sort of sort of like what he's talking about went through like I was I was a cinephile as a kid but I was also a tv kid so a lot of what I saw was what was programmed on television
0: mm. which
1: is I think you know I'm 37 so this would have been like in the early 90s I think a lot of people who are like I, I saw the classics on tv are usually like 20 or 30 years older than me yeah, um yeah, yeah. but there, there was a station there called bravo which i don't know if that exists in the states
0: yeah I, I think so there's i'm sure it's the same one
1: yeah and they they did a thing that was great where every sunday morning they just i don't know who was programming that thing but it would go like you would start at 7 a.m with like the philadelphia story and then there would be like in a lonely place and then you would watch like lane blacktop like it was the wow. best film school ever like it really um was was highly formative to me um, and then I was also really obsessed with uh, this old NBC show called *Homicide: Life on the Street*, that I hope gets a really nice deluxe restoration Blu-ray treatment one day, because the early seasons of that are just unbelievable. And it was all shot like 60 millimeter bypass, a uh, bleach bypass, and was you know heavily influenced by like documentary, and New Wave editing, and you know. So I had all this stuff kind of cooking, going in with that, and then film school kind of opened the floodgates for like European, uh, like quintessential European art house cinema and beyond. And so it was sort of like those two those two streams. I think were really what uh, what programmed my brain for for this sort of stuff. And then it was sort of a constant evolution after that. And then, and then I stayed. Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh no, yeah. And then I stayed in Montreal. I started a couple of uh, like uh, like film series there, and then moved to Vancouver very briefly, and then came to Los Angeles to go to grad school at UCLA And their um, what was then called the Moving Image Archive Studies Program, sort of like restoration <sighs> school. Uh, archive restoration school. And uh, yeah, it was from that that I ended up, um, you know, interning around at different places, LACMA, Museum of Modern Art, and eventually at Sinalicious. And then that kind of quickly turned into a full-time job
0: at that company, right when it was sort of getting off the ground in the very early days. That's fascinating. And so Sinalicious has naturally kind of evolved into Arbellus because a lot of it is this, you know, I guess you and UNA you and now are running it. Was, was that just a natural progression between the two companies then?
1: Sort of, yeah. I mean, Sinalicious was was this guy who had like a kind of a thriving post-production, boutique post-production business who was interested in getting into film restoration and distribution. And that was sort of the genesis of it. And then, um, yeah, that was a cool company for a lot of years. And then things sort of changed there. And then I was sort of cured. I, I was quite keen to sort of keep the, the business model alive and sort of make sure a lot of these films that we had restored there did not um, sort of fall off the table, so to speak, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I got together sort of like the core people that were running Sinalicious Picks, the distribution arm at the time was like, we should do our own thing that eventually became Arbalos, um, which launched in May of 2017. And then we sort of went back and took that Sinalicious library with us and then continued to acquire things that were, you know, Arbalos films in their own right, which started with uh, the last movie. It was our first Arbalos film.
0: Yeah. I think I've been saying the name wrong this whole time. Sorry, you're saying Arbalos.
1: Sorry. no i i there's no definitive pronunciation like even okay. within like there's arbalos and there's arbelos and they're both correct
0: okay all right just making sure um well before we get into um arbalos films <laughs> i want to stay in similarities for just a second because the four that i own and if there's more that are out there that i missed apologies i thought i but giuseppe makes a movie belladonna sadness private property and funeral parade of roses so these are the four that i that I own from that um, effort and holy cow, like every single one of these films is unbelievable. Like, so I'm sure everybody, you know, if anybody hasn't seen of Donna's Sadness, this to me is like up there with, in that category of films that is worth, like everybody should see, but is also extremely hard to see. Hmm. Like, you know, like it's just, it's so gut-wrenching to watch, but it's worth it. Yeah, it's not an easy watch. That's for sure. Uh, And I and I've never seen an animation style like this before. I mean, I'm not into anime and stuff, so maybe it's just my lack of exposure. But I've never like the way that they'll maybe you know zoom in and just focus on like parts of the frame, or kind of Mm -hmm. make it to where it's super simple animation with just like three colors for a moment, and then flash in with like the really complex animation, and just kind of go weave between the different styles. I just I've never it like the oh, it's beautiful. Like and I. Heard that the production on this because this is one of the ones we were talking to um, Craig about when we first came on, and he mentioned that I think it was this one. There's like 150 thousand dollars to restore, or something crazy like that. Um, Yeah, no, it was it was a it was a
1: huge it was a huge undertaking. Absolutely amazing.
0: Um, And then from there, I I don't know. It's it's hard to like hype private property up, but what a movie! Like, I mean, hard to prop it up in the sense like nothing like super dramatic happens. It's not like Bella, you know, but it's just such an amazing well-told story. Like, I loved it. Like, I was hooked the whole time.
1: Oh, I have, I have tremendous affection for that. That that one actually came about, so before I ended up at Cinelicious, I was uh, in my final year of grad school at UCLA. Um, as one might expect, I interned at the UCLA Film and Television Archive when they used to have their um, uh, their lab on Seward Street. Now they're in the, the Phi Stoa um, in this yeah. like beautiful facility, but before they were sort of like uh, a little more kind of splintered in terms of where the facilities were. Um, so I just bounce around and just sort of like learn how this like analog film preservation happened. It was this really cool couple of months there, but they would have um, like QC screenings for different things that they were working on. And they were working on private property, this uh, like photochemical preservation as distinct from the 4k digital restoration that we ended up doing. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, I, I would just sit in on these things as I was around. Yeah. knew nothing about it going in. Didn't even know Warren notes was in it. That was an exciting <sighs> surprise. Cause I right. with I just sat down and watched this thing and it just cooked my brain. Like I couldn't believe this existed. I couldn't believe that no one knew about it. It was just yeah. totally kind of mind blowing to me. So I ended up at Sinalicious, maybe like six, seven months later. Like that was like the first thing where I was like, we should really consider this. Like this, this could really pop. Um, and, uh, and it did, which is exciting. Like that ended up being a thing that premiered at I believe Lincoln center in New York and they built a whole war notes retro around it. So there was all this wonderful context and like um, it was a real event. And then, you know, the filmmaker's daughter ended up kind of calling us um, after that, which was great because her name is, you know, Leslie Stevens, the filmmaker's daughter's name is Dana Stevens. Dana Stevens is also, as you might know, like a a very well known film critic for Slade and has podcasts and stuff. So I got this cold call at the Cinelicious offices one day. Like reception call that was like Dana Stevens is on the phone for you and I was like oh like I naturally assumed it was a film critic and got excited because like I don't know Dana Stevens but I like her work
0: Uh and then it
1: was Leslie Stevens daughter totally different person who's just like yeah I was at the screening in New York and like this it it was so amazing to see the film I never thought I would see it again and since Uh Leslie Stevens had shot that whole film in his actual house his daughter Uh had grown up there so she was just sort of like yeah like I remember that room Uh like that's where we would (laughs) have breakfast like it was really trippy and cool wow but yeah, I what? love that, and it's been it's been kind of a uh, like an evergreen title for us. Like it, it, you know, there 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 is an audience. It's kind of low level, but it's consistent, and people really talk It ended up having a remake that came out a year and a half ago, two years ago, which is really wild. Wait, um, what was
0: it? Is it also called Private Property? It's
1: also called Private Property. It's it's a remake of the film. It's it. Hews very kind of closely to, oh, to the narrative of of the Leslie Stevens film.
0: I'll have to go check it out. I had no idea. Yeah, what was awesome. the story about it I, and i'm sorry if i didn't see the um there's a video interview on here so i don't know if this talks about this but what's the story with it being lost for 50 years like was it like what how, where was it lost or how did it get found
1: i guess just a lot of some films that are not produced by studios like that was produced independently oh, okay. and like a lot of those films just sort of can fall off the grid if there's not you know an active steward for that work yeah. over the yeah, years yeah. and so i mean you know the folks at ucla would need to Kind of fill in the blanks here but as i understand it you know obviously ucla takes in a tremendous amount of material and then it takes a while to get it processed and this was you know private property the, the camera negatives were part of this large donation that they'd received and so it, it kind of happened that way wow oh that's awesome I hope I'm getting um, that right. I'm pretty sure that's that's what it was. But yeah, we definitely can't take credit for like discovering it. I just I saw it, UCLA had already kind of preserved it, and was like, oh, we could do something really cool with this and help it get maybe even even uh, like an even larger audience.
0: Well, that, that's kind of one question I have. Maybe this is a natural detour into one of these things. I'm curious from your perspective because it feels like to me, again, I'm you know, just on the outside, but it feels like your titles sell well. The 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 actual Blu-rays sell well, and um. And, and obviously, you know, you talk about your theatrical runs. I'm really happy to hear that they do well in that as well. But it uh, I've been collecting for about 20 years. We're similar in age. I have you by a few years. I just turned 40, but I, I was That's- around kind of, yeah, thanks. In the early 2000s when that there, I feel like everybody owned DVDs, right? It wasn't like, it was just a matter of what kind of DVDs do you own, but like everybody had them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was so much stuff coming out. Um, but in that, I feel like there was this kind of, band Of films that didn't get released because it was a true business. And so people made these kind of like business decisions around the movies they released, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we're getting into this phase. And I'm curious if you all are seeing this, where a lot of films are getting either the first release on disc or first release in 20 years or 15 years. Um, and it seems like, in a way, because we're in this collector's market now, it's almost better for preservation in a weird way. Like at least the films are getting a chance to get restored and owned by 2000 people or 5,000 people. If at least, I don't know, are you, are you seeing a similar trend from your side?
1: Yeah. Do you want to answer that?
2: Um, Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, especially, uh, I mean, the beginning of COVID um, sales really increased for us because of, I mean I think it's because people are just stuck at home. And then uh, and I guess they also got the government money as well. But um yeah. I mean yeah, Blu-rays definitely have become a lot steadier than when we first started uh even what when I started was what 2015 at St. Alicia. So um yeah, it's been a growing trend every year. So, so I can, I see that as well. That's
1: great. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. thing.
2: I mean, you kind of nailed
1: it. Like you, you, like the market, like if you're taking this sort of uh, like macro level view of it, like, of course the market has like collapsed with physical media, but when you sort of telescope in on the thing, it's like, actually, yeah, but that's like, if you're trying to release, you know, uh, like whatever tentpole thing, or maybe those are even doing well now, but for the longest time, especially, you know, it's kind of started percolating a few years before the pandemic. And then as a pandemic really kind of accentuated it, the collector's market, like you can do really interesting things there. Like it's, it's a, uh, we're becoming every year that passes, we're becoming more and more of a physical media company. Like we do a lot of different things, but, you know, we started in more of a streaming space and then it was sort of 50, 50. And now it's almost like maybe Blu-ray sort of like edging ahead a little bit.
0: Oh, that's Um, exciting to hear especially when you're producing a high quality. Okay. So I don't know if this is like the perfect segue, but I think it's a time speaking of physical media. Can you tell the story of these silky luxurious slip covers? Like I'm not even trying to just like suck, suck up to you. Like these are the best slip covers in the game. I almost want to like wear them. Like, how did y'all come up with this design? Uh, it's, it's not just paper. Like, what is it? And like, how did you come up with it? I love it.
2: Uh what we work with a local um printing house called Nonstop. Okay. Um and when we approached them, uh we you know we asked we had asked them, um, we we're looking to do slip covers because we had never done them. Um mm-hmm. and we saw the vinegar syndrome model and, and it's pretty interesting, but we wanted to make it unique as well. Um and they had done another project that Does this sort of envelope style thing? Um, And these are, uh, yes, the Satan Tang, the first three, the Satan Tango, Son of the White Mare, and Damnation ones are all based off of the same paper, uh, but they have different coatings on them. Okay. Um, And uh, yeah, the Satan Tango one is called Sandy Matt. (laughs) And yeah, as you can tell, it's um, oh, so yes, it, it is kind of sandy. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then this is more of a kind of velvety texture. This on the white man one. Um, you know, I, I think in my head, I think uh, they the textures fit the film. <laughs> I don't know if it's that's awesome, too, but it's um, but uh, and then each time we try to kind of up the game. To make it more interesting. So, me and uh, this guy named Lehman, who runs uh, Nonstop, we're always going back and forth with what we can do next. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and then, so for Damnations, it, yeah, it's, it's just exciting to do these sort of things because it's, it's a physical product and you can see it. Um, and he sends us mock ups so we can just see, uh, you know, different uh, variations of um, each zip case. And, trying to find the right material and and yeah this one's also sandy matte but with the um like a gloss texture over it and...
0: okay that that makes sense so it's it's regular paper but it has a coating and the coating changes depending on kind of your vibe for the film and and <laughs> yeah. what you want to do for the film
2: yeah exactly <sighs> that is yeah. an amazing I guess now with the uh
1: with the sorry to talk over you with the nina set now we've changed
2: the paper as well which might be interesting to talk about. yeah so for the Nina's uh one it's um Sorry, the Nina Maggie set. set. <laughs> it so, we're all friends it with Nina. Um, <laughs> yeah, this one is, because all the other ones, if you, um, it's, if you open it, it's actually just white paper. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But this one, it's the same color all the way. Um, I know okay. this is a podcast. So you can't really see it. Oh, but, no, no, uh, no. Uh, no. Um, But it, it's this place called Color Plan, and um, it's a new type of texture, and it's... Uh, it holds better as well. keeps it more rigid shape and yeah, wow. at this new holographic. I don't know if you can tell. But a little bit, a little yeah. bit.
0: I bet it's going to be better in person, but yeah, that is such a beautiful cover though. There's a, there's a simplicity in y'all's design that I think also helps. Cause I think when I think of like canonical films, it's weird to have a busy cover with that, right? Like I like the simple design. Mm-hmm. Like I think it matches the spirit
2: yeah we, we we work really closely um with a graphic designer named dylan haley and he's done everything uh from cinelicious days so okay yeah so it's all him that's great but I think, um, I think you
1: hit on on sort of an interesting like larger point too which is you know I, we're conscious of leading with the work you know it's sort yeah. of like i don't know the idea is never that our personalities will in any way eclipse the work, the, the design shouldn't eclipse the work, like you lead with the, the the film and everything sort of supports that. And that's how we approach it and what the model always is. So I think you can sort of see that in, in the design being more minimal or more spare. Like it's not, you know, the work is the the thing that delivers and everything that we're doing is to properly contextualize it, make it exciting and support it. But we're never trying to eclipse it, if that makes sense.
0: No, it totally makes sense. And I think it goes back to your first point of starting from a place of loving the films, right? Um, totally yeah yeah because it's almost like you have to know the films in order to be able to do what you just said um speaking of knowing the films so I I think I either love this movie or am neutral well you can't be neutral in this movie but the last (laughs) movie uh, I'm going to see it again because the first time through I was just like I can't tell if this he's a genius or if he's just drugged out of his mind but <laughs> yeah. what an experience you
1: know what was wild about that is so uh, as you might imagine when we're producing these these new 4k restorations you see the film which is an insane amount of times yeah um, just over and over again especially when you're doing uh like the color grading pass and and the last movie is one of those instances where uh obviously like the DOP is no longer around Dennis Hopper is no longer around so You know, we did have a, a, there was a print at the Academy Film Archive that had been supervised by by Dennis and the DP. So we kind of had a screening of that and had the colors there to sort of like see what that looked like. But the camera negative by that point had been pretty faded and that print had been struck pre uh, the digital revolution. So you were sort of left with a lot of these, the the legacy of the fading in there that that with those Mm analog tools you couldn't really do that much with so it was both helpful and and also a little like potentially misleading um okay. all of which is just to sort of say that the color work on that was was very long and very involved and in a lot of different passes so we saw the last movie i don't know easily what like maybe 50 or 60 times at oh, least wow. restoring that and you know and i'd always just mentioned it's like even if a film no matter how much you love a film you're going to see it 60 times in the course of a couple of months you're going to start to get kind of sick of it probably yeah yeah the last yeah. movie just continued to reveal itself in different ways like you just liked it more every time you would see it wow. and i think maybe that's a that's the the best testament to its brilliance you know because i think that is your reaction is is totally valid and um i think how everybody kind of feels the first time you see it like it's it's a lot and it's dense and it's mystifying and you're like is he just High and drunk on Godard, like is there anything of merit here? And then the more you sit with it, the more you see it. It's like, oh, I think there absolutely is, and I think there's a there's a like a native brilliance to it that's very much Dennis Hopper's. That's my opinion, but um, it definitely rewards repeated viewings.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I I I always said it was sort of like if Godard and Yotaraski somehow had a child, and that child did some drugs or something like that. I don't know, but um, (laughs) yeah. And that child probably would do some drugs. But um, anyways, I, I, I'm i just so fascinated by it. Okay, cool. Well, um, so I'm staring at, let's see, four here and then five here. So nine, ten, ten ten. Ten movies so far. You have Nina Monkey set coming out. Uh, and then you said you have an announcement that's pending, which, I mean, I won't ask about it. But that would be, I'm assuming, release number 11. Um, For physical now, so we have... Yeah,
1: if we're going to track it by like the the physical releases, which not everything from Cinelicious got, but everything through Arbolus has, and and will continue to to to, uh, to receive physical releases. So we have uh, Cinematic Sorceress, the films of Nita Menkes, the the box set. Then it'll be the special edition for Wendell Harris's Chameleon Street. We're working okay. on now. Speaking of the um, the slip cases, that's a as as an elliptical deep tease. The A's got something cool cooking on that one. So it'll be it'll be a It'll be a
2: very, uh, very pretty well, set. Hopefully. hopefully. We're, we're still like testing data, testing to see if it'll actually work. But yeah, <laughs> it'll oh, be pretty wow. cool. Uh, and that, and that of
1: course, like Wendell is an utterly brilliant and singular multi-hyphenate uh, genius. So working on that was wild and great uh, and a career highlight. And then after Chameleon Street, we'll have um, Life's Cheap, but Toilet Paper is Expensive, the Wayne Wayne oh, film. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's uh, right. That we just that they just finished its sort of theatrical tour and it'll have a physical media and a streaming life. We toured Mireille Dansaro's uh dream life, the Quebec film from 1972. Okay. So that one will actually come out through our sister company Canadian International Pictures. Okay. And that'll have um, a special edition release that way. And then I think the last one we can talk about officially is um is to duo, which uh mm-hmm. we really mm-hmm. champion and can talk about a little bit.
2: Yeah, two dude um had its theatrical run at the very end of last year and then it's played at the American Center like here or in in LA. Um and yeah, so that would be probably late end of this year or even maybe early 2024. Like but okay. hopefully the end of this year, yeah. Okay.
0: Wow. So that seems like y'all are kind of putting out somewhere in the ballpark of three to Two two to four releases a year, uh, on on Blu-ray at least. Is that is that kind of the, you know, the cadence that you're going to try to keep up? Do you have any plans to go do more? I'm just greedy for more. As there's only thing behind my question.
1: <laughs> no, that's kind of you. Yeah, I think like two to four, maybe a little bit closer to four is probably a safe bet. I mean, we're we're okay. built out. Arbo says the company has a big uh sort of like international distribution dimension and so that as you might imagine becomes sort of time consuming we sub-license a lot of the the films and the restorations that we work on or require to mm. um you know different uh different other labels of different countries sort of around the world and so um as as a consequence of that we're you know there's only two of us doing the company so there's only so many hours in the day Um, so I think because of that, and also like, we remain really committed to having a theatrical life as best we can for, for everything that we're doing. And that also, you know, is, is, is fairly time consuming. So yeah, it ends up being about two to four of what we have the bandwidth to produce every year, because we don't really want to do anything half-assed, you know, like we want to be able to sort of put our names behind everything. So we're always very conscious of not taking on more than we can do properly.
0: Well, the dedication to quality is is uh, is apparent. So, um, I'll be patient. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would make more economic sense to do more, but uh, I I think we'd rather make sure everything is like a ten out of ten in our eyes before we you know put it out in the world. That's
0: great. Uh, so that you know, I think by way of intro, that covers pretty much what I wanted to learn about y'all and the company. Um, is there a place you prefer people to buy? Is it nice to buy from your website? Um, you know, how how do you want people to buy from you?
2: Uh, yeah, website, our online shop would be great. Um, yeah, I mean, I or if you could just buy at other places as well, but
0: yeah, you get to keep more if it's if they buy direct, right? Yes. Which funds yeah. bigger and more ambitious projects and better slipcovers. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a, th- a thousand percent. Also, if you buy it from us, we send it to you. So, you know, you can't tell that, but you get the uh, the extra bit of love that, you know, it was packaged by one of us and sent to you from, uh, you know,
0: roughly the east side of Los Angeles where we both live. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I am jealous that you all live in L.A. This is I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I'm I love food and and all all foods of all cuisine. Of all parts of the world. And I feel like LA has uh qu- quite an amazing food scene. So I'm jealous the all get to live there. Um yeah.
1: Yeah. If you can do if you can deal with the sort of uh the the suffocating heat for like eight months out of the year now, it's uh you know, then then you're golden because everything else is pretty great.
2: Austin was worse when we were. I guess that's true. What we am I talking to you time. about heat <laughs> for? Sorry, yeah, that was really oblivious of me.
1: So yeah, you're 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 great, you're built for it. You can come here.
0: <laughs> yeah. it's funny, A no. and I
1: both live in Los Angeles. Uh and this, I guess, ties into the slip cases because we, you know, once everything has sort of been like constructed in the back and forth with A and Neiman has happened, like somebody has to pick up the stuff and neither yeah. uh, A nor I drive. So it's always like, in some ways, the most like logistically uh, difficult part is just sort of like, how do we actually physically pick up the thing and bring it to where we <laughs> package do. <it? laughs>
0: That's hilarious. Um, modern day challenges. Um, well... Where is the best place for people to reach you on social if they want to ask questions or recommend Vosj your uh box that's
1: <laughs> yeah our website's arbolosfilms.com and we're Arbolousfilms on you know all the all the regular places that you would find us, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have no TikTok as of yet.
0: <laughs> Probably maybe for that's the best, maybe but... that's
1: maybe that's the future.
0: No, not if it decreases the amount of releases you do every year. Stay off of it so you can do <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Another. <laughs>
1: another another uh, platform to keep up with
0: yeah exactly well thank you so much for this um uh it's really been a pleasure talking to you both and uh i wish you wild success
1: yeah thanks man thanks thank for inviting you. us to do it this was a total pleasure appreciate the support
0: of course of course all right well all right see you online